Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. It is the 5th of April, 2022. It is Tuesday, Tasty Tuesday. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. And, you know, let's uh, break bread together in such a way that Christ is made known to others. Maybe that would be a good thought for us to have in terms of our public witness today. If you're going to if you're gonna be eating or drinking in public anywhere, in front of anyone, what would it look like for you to be making Christ known in the breaking of that bread. Hey, that's a little thought for the day. All right, I have a bottom line um, consideration. Here's the bottom line consideration this morning. Tell the truth and do the next right thing, like as in the next righteous thing. So tell the truth, do the next right or righteous thing, and if you make a mistake, come clean. Confession is actually not only good for the soul. Confession is good for our human relationships. Eventually, the truth is going to be known. Sin will be exposed. Jesus makes that abundantly clear. What is all this about? These are my reflections on the surge of reporting on the president's son, Hunter Biden, by outlets that once widely dismissed and downplayed reports about him, particularly in 2020 related to his foreign entanglements. Uh, Email evidence and the contents of a personal laptop were denied by many in the mainstream media, huge outlets, even though, as we now know, a federal investigation was, in fact, underway. So the New York Times, the Washington uh, Post, CNN, among others, uh, have now all acknowledged or are in the process uh, of publicly acknowledging that they mishandled this story. They're seeking to rectify that now. Um, and it's important. It's important to know the truth, even if we know the truth later than would be helpful for decision-making. The Washington Post is now describing Hunter Biden's laptop and its contents as part of a larger story about, quote, the ways in which the Biden family profited from relationships built over Joe Biden's decades in public service. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. Um, the New York Times says if uh, of Hunter Biden that, quote, uh, his professional life has intersected with his father's public service. Um, and then the article goes on to unpack ways in which um, Hunter Biden's has financially profited from, um, I mean, what I will just call influence peddling. So the Washington Post editorial board wrote a piece stating um, that this story and their mishandling of it is a chance for a media reckoning. I want you to think about that for a moment, a media reckoning. Um, For now, I think what is more compelling um, than the uh, assorted accusations about the Biden's behavior is actually the question of why confirmation of a story that first surfaced in the half of 2020 um, 
is only now coming to light. And the New York Times and the Washington Post are both asking those questions, and that's good. They should be asking those questions. But the answer to their question is super duper simple. Um, Because you buried it. You denied its veracity. You did not align. uh, It did not align with your preferred outcome of the 2020 presidential election. And you knew it would damage your preferred candidate and his party. And you wanted the Democrats to control every branch of government. And you controlled the news in such a way as to practically guarantee that outcome. I mean, if you're the New York Times and you're the Washington Post and you're wondering um, why uh, why you mishandled this story, you have to look at your own motives and your own motivations and the people making editorial decisions in your newsroom. You, mainstream media outlets, you consistently made one candidate and his family, his business dealings, and his personal life look bad, as bad as possible, while, in fact, whitewashing and suppressing the truth about the Biden family. Now, as Christians, what do we do with all this? Well, as Christians, we want the truth. We want the whole truth. We want nothing but the truth, so help us God. And I think that as Christians in this culture, we have to capitalize on this opportunity to advocate for the telling of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. We fan the flame of speaking truth in public and in private. We acknowledge that to know the truth is to know God. To know the truth is to be honest before God, to speak truth in his honor. To know the truth is to be set free from the anxiety and moral burden of lying. To know the truth is to belong to Christ, who alone is the way and the truth and the life, whom John declares uh, when he arrives on the scene as being full of grace and truth. So let us, full of grace and truth today, walk forward into a world where the truth is actively suppressed. So let me be that person who says today, discovering the truth matters to me as a person because I'm committed to the truth. I am not interested in the destruction of an individual or his family. I am interested in our national security and the integrity of what should be a free press. So let Luke 2, 2 and 3, or Luke 12, 2 and 3 be our guides today. Secrets will be uncovered. The truth will be known. God will be vindicated. And what is done in darkness? Yep, it's coming to light. Next up, uh, we've got Mark Caleb Smith. We're going to cover a range of political headlines, starting with what's going on in Ukraine. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Mark Caleb Smith is back from Cedarville University. Good morning, Mark. Hey, Carmen. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. President Volodymyr Zelensky is going to deliver an address this morning to the UN Security Council, where the United States, the UK, and France are expected to present evidence of war crimes against Russia. Um, Russia sits on the Security Council, so that's going to be an interesting conversation. Love to talk about with you about your observations from a political science perspective. President Zelensky. Um, He's talked to a lot of audiences, including the Grammys. Um, He's delivering messages that are tailored to speak to and move specific audiences here and around the world. Love for you to just sort of give a poli-sci assessment of this guy. (laughs) 
uh, it's a remarkable thing. I mean, his ability to communicate has really been something to watch. Um, and I think there are a lot of reasons for it, you know, th that he's so uh, gifted, but also because it has such an effect, such an impact. You know, I don't think that we're used to seeing political words have that kind of impact for the most part. Uh, but there, I think there are a lot of factors to it. I mean, I think one is his the situation he's in is so grave uh, that it that it lends um, some heft to everything that he says. Um, you know, he's in a difficult situation. We all see that he's in this situation, and I think that has that means that his words take on a resonance that they don't often take on for politicians. Uh, these aren't stump speeches. You know, he's not asked, he's not saying vote for me at some point in the future. He's saying here's where we are. Here's what we need. Uh, and it's a desperate situation. Um, but it's also interesting, I think, uh, that it's it's morally it is a clear situation. There's an aggressor. Um, there's an e there is a good, I think, and there is an evil at work here. Uh, and I think he is on the side of good. Nothing's perfect. Uh, but I think the moral clarity here <clears throat> gives him some weight that otherwise we don't have. You know, there's not as much gray area here. There's a right and there's a wrong. And I think he's taking advantage of that properly. Uh, but maybe most interestingly, he's really good at using pithy phrases that uh, are memorable and that sort of lodge in the mind. And I think it's been really effective. I mean, how long will we be talking about, uh, you know, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition um, mm -hmm. or things like our weapons, our our truth. And it's he's really a gifted communicator in that sense. Um, you know, his acting background doesn't hurt here, obviously. Um, but he's used his gifts extraordinarily well, and it's it's been something uh, incredible to watch. I uh, I saw a, a comparative photo yesterday yeah. of him, you know, a couple of days uh, before the war started, and then a picture of him yesterday. I mean, he has aged considerably. The furrows in his brow are visibly deepened. Um, this has been physically hard on him. I think part of it, Mark, is we see a regular guy. Like, yeah. I, I don't. I, I think we see a regular guy who had a regular job and a regular family and was doing regular things. And yes, he was serving as the head of state of a country, um, but he didn't. He he wasn't prepared, you know, through the military or any other way um, to do what he's doing now. And so, I think part of it is like our heart just naturally goes out to him. Like we could see ourselves in him. No, I, I agree. And uh, the fact that he's out and about and not in a bunker somewhere, he's not out of Ukraine. Uh, he's not governing in exile from a safe place. Um, he's wearing his flak jacket around and his camo outfits. And it's just something to behold. It really is. And it's um, I hope for his sake and the world's sake that he stays safe and that we continue to see him, but it's, it, it is incredible to watch. You know, you mentioned that picture. We often see pictures of a president when he entered office, then when he leaves and you see the age and the effect that it has on them. And as you said, this has just been a month plus and he's a transformed person. Um, and I, it, it's you know, more power to him. You know, may God can continue to shield him and protect him. The 40, de 40 days in the wilderness um, is a transforming experience. That that's not lost on students of the Bible. Um, all right, Mark, let's uh, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, um, there's a new Ken Burns documentary, Benjamin Franklin, that I would love to uh, hear you give um, give an assessment of. We're talking with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. Lord. 
We're talking with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith across a range of topics, bringing the mind of Christ to bear on some political-related headlines of the day. Politics is everywhere. Politics is certainly um, in the media and in the way we consume it. There is a new documentary by Ken Burns on PBS um, on the life uh, and the person of Benjamin Franklin. I'd love um, love to hear your reflections on this, Mark. Uh, Benjamin Franklin's a really interesting <clears throat> historical figure, obviously. I mean, he's a Renaissance man, um, an inventor, scientist, scholar, philanthropist, diplomat. I mean, just a remarkable life and a remarkable career. Um, but I think you could argue in some ways, as we move farther and farther from the founding, uh, that he's one of those forgotten founders to some extent. I mean, uh, we talk about Franklin occasionally, but we don't talk about him nearly as often as we talk about Washington or Jefferson uh, or even Madison um, or even Adams, perhaps. And so uh, he's one of those founders, I think, that's, that functions a little bit below the surface for most people, um, not a president of the United States. Um, in some ways, you know, it reminds me of Hamilton before Hamilton. Mm. Right? I mean, Hamilton was also one of those people, incredibly important, vital to the founding, uh, but slipping into the mist of history to some extent. And so I think Ken Burns is trying to make sure that, that Franklin doesn't slip anymore. Um, trying to bring him back to prominence. And I think, I think rightfully so. Um, but Franklin's an interesting guy. I think you could, we could talk about maybe some reasons that he's um, suffered a bit in history, you know, slavery and other things perhaps, but um, uh, he's worth discussing. I'm glad Burns has brought his uh, talents to bear on him, but it's an odd choice though, right? I mean, no photographs, um, not the typical Ken Burns approach, that's for sure, um, but certainly worth watching. When you think about Benjamin Franklin, I mean, what yeah. what comes to mind um, that, you know, is absolutely worth preserving? And then what are the things that that come to mind that, you know, are the shadow sides? Yeah. Um, I mean, Franklin was really critical at important moments in our history, but he was a little bit behind the scenes. Um, so, you know, when the, de- when the Declaration of Independence was written, it was assigned to a committee of people. And we associate it with Thomas Jefferson, and we should, because he took the lead role. Uh, but a committee looked at that document, edited it, made some changes, uh, and Franklin was part of that committee. Uh, Franklin was also a delegate to the Constitutional Convention. Um, of course, he was an ambassador to France and uh, did a ton of other things that are worth noting, wrote an autobiography of himself uh, on himself and uh, published Poor Richard's Almanac for years and years. And so a vital person, I think, and worth remembering uh, for all those reasons. But his legacy is complicated, I think. Um, you know, he had an ambiguous view of, of slavery. Uh, he owned slaves earlier in his life, but then grew into becoming an abolitionist later in his life. And so uh, that ambiguity, I think, makes him complicated for people to deal with um, at some level. As a religious person, you know, for me, I think of the founders as religious individuals and think of them in those terms. Franklin's also pretty slippery. Um, He's not really a a believer in any traditional sense, respected Christianity for what it was as a moral system, uh, but really didn't consider himself a Christian per se. Um, And so that puts him outside of, I think, a lot of other founders, and it makes him a little bit of an outlier uh, compared to people like Adams and, and others. And so an interesting figure, uh, worth engaging, and, and a complicated human being, which uh, makes for the most interesting kinds. Well, and true of all of us, right? I mean, yeah. you know, we're none of us. None of us are a one-layered onion. 
Um, so that's really helpful. I'd love to um, have you give some um, maybe update thoughts, perspective on what is happening with the January 6th commission. Yeah, I mean, the, the commission sort of seems to come in and out of our consciousness, depending on what else is happening. I think to some extent, Ukraine has pushed it off of the uh, radar for many of us, and that's okay. Uh, but it's trying to wrap up its sort of private business. They're still uh, interviewing people, still collecting documents. Um, they're trying to do this before they enter into public testimony, which is going to happen, they hope, in May. And when that becomes public, I think we're going to see this perhaps become a different level of important uh, for our politics, depending on how those public hearings go. Uh, they're trying to put together a report for the fall. Of course, there's a political connection there. We have midterm elections coming up in the fall, and I'm sure that's part of the timing of what's happening here. Um, they're struggling right now with a few people in the Trump world trying to get cooperation from people like Mark Meadows. Um, and they're also struggling with Peter Navarro and Dan Scavino and some others uh, that were close to Trump on January 6th. But they're getting cooperation from people like Jared Kushner um, and from Mark Esper and from people who are on Mike Pence's staff. And so uh, yeah, I think the committee's the, the commission's moving forward. It's making some progress. Um, how much progress, you know, we're going to have to wait to see. Uh, but it, it's, I think it's, it reminds me a lot of ways of the, of the Watergate investigative committee, committee that took place during the Nixon administration, uh, would sometimes make news, often working behind the scenes, until they delivered some blockbusters that really uh, started to shift the debate. So I think this summer we'll find out exactly how much the, the commission knows and what kind of an effect it might have uh, over the next couple of months, maybe even over the next few years. Um, OK, I um, noted that just yesterday the Senate Judiciary Committee voted 11 to 11. So that's a deadlock vote right. um, on on forwarding the nomination of Judge uh, Katanji Brown Jackson to the full Senate. But that didn't it doesn't die there. A, uh, a deadlocked vote in a committee is not actually the end of things. Can you can you then just tell us what happened to that yeah. deadlocked vote? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the, the deadlock vote, as you said, doesn't end the process because right now the Senate's divided 50-50 between Republicans and Democrats, which means the committees are fairly well mm. split as well. And so these kinds of, of divisions aren't uncommon. Um, you can uh, discharge a bill from committee from the floor of the Senate. And so you, the, the Senate can vote itself to remove a bill from the committee, even though the committee did not officially put it forward through a positive vote. And that's what's happened. And so uh, there are a number of Republicans who are supporting the discharge process and who signal that they're going to vote um, for the judge when it comes to confirmation. So Mitt Romney and Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins um, have supported her, and that's going to get her to confirmation, I think, with probably 53 votes or so. So, yeah, her, her, her process is moving forward, and I expect her to be confirmed uh, relatively soon. Super interesting. All right. Um, we don't have time to talk about whether or not uh, Vladimir Putin is going to be um, charged as a war criminal and if so, in what court he would um, uh, be tried. Um, but that is a fascinating conversation as well. I, I love our conversations. Thank you so much for all that you bring to them. Always fun, Carmen. Uh, and thanks to you and all your listeners. Likewise. That's uh, that's Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. You can find him at Cedarville University. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio.
All right. Thank you for those of you checking in on the text line this morning. Remember, it's always open. You can text me at 877-933-2484. You can text the word GIVE to that number if you want to join us in the financial support of this ministry. Let me tell you a really cool thing going on right now, and we're going to we're actually going to talk more about it in the second hour um, of the program today. But, you know, you might be, you know, off to something and not not able to stick around that long. And I totally get that. So um, later this morning, we're going to talk with Andy Carr from Feed My Starving Children. We have a partnership with them um, so that those of you who support the ministry at the $40 a month or higher level, we call that Team 40, um, that gift is going to be matched by a donor to Feed My Starving Children um, in the month of April, so that's right now, to actually supply 40 meals to Ukrainian refugees um, outside of of Ukraine or actually um, serving people who are internally displaced inside of Ukraine. So really cool um, partnership that we have established with Feed My Starving Children, and we're going to hear a whole lot more about what is happening in and through that ministry um, later this morning. But I wanted to to let you know that that is going on. We do have um, an event coming up the week after Easter. We call it um, Spring Share. It is our spring fundraiser. It's the last fundraiser that we have before the end of our fiscal year. We are one of those organizations that runs um, July to June in terms of a fiscal year. And so the spring fundraiser is our last fundraiser um, to finish the year well and to establish a firm footing for the year ahead. So that's something you could be prayerfully anticipating in a couple of weeks. I know many of you just really look forward to that, and we look forward to it as well. It's an opportunity for us to share stories of how this ministry has impacted your life and equipped you to impact the lives of others. So if you have a story to share about um, how Faith Radio has impacted your life, we'd love to hear that. We'd love to hear that story. So um, you can um, you can text me your contact info, um, and and somebody will reach out to you to record your story. Or if you just want to email me your story, I'm Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com is my email address. If you want to text me your contact info to have somebody reach out to you to record your story, just text me at 877-933-2484. We'd love to hear your impact story so that we can share it with others as a part of Spring Share. Um, All right, we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about relationships. I love Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer talked about the need for reconciliation. Broken relationships plague us. Schaeffer talked about, um, you know, our reconciliation with God being the precursor for real substantial healing in all of our human relationships. And so if you want peace, like how are you going to achieve that? How are you going to get peace in your relationships? Brian Noble um, offers his formula and seven ways to bring peace to our most difficult relationships. His new book, Living Reconciled. That conversation up next on Mornings with Carmen. We know we're called to a ministry of reconciliation. We know that as far as it depends on us, we're to live at peace with everyone. We also know that our lives are riddled with conflict. We're talking today 
um, with Brian Noble. The book is Living Reconciled, Seven Ways to Bring Peace to Your Most Difficult Relationships. Brian, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Well, I am well, and one of my favorite passages of Scripture is the one that you spend a lot of time talking about in this book, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So why don't you um, call us into this by reminding us what Paul says um, in that particular passage? All right. So in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul lays out an argument that we're he starts out by saying we're in a tent and we're all going to die and we're going to end up in heaven someday. So um, when you start out with that, and then eventually he comes down, he weaves through some interactions of our attitudes of being brand new in Christ and that we have a ministry of reconciliation. And then he kind of ends the book, I mean, that chapter with the idea that uh, Jesus had the greatest death of injustice because he was 100% perfect. And yet he did that so that we could be made new in Christ. And so that's kind of just an overview flow of, um, of what Paul is saying in Second Corinthians 5. So I love that this book, Living Reconciled, um, really just walks out principles that grow out of um, of that chapter. So let's just tell people the seven courageous attitudes of reconciliation that Brian lays out for us in this book, Living Reconciled, are you are controlled by Christ's love, you no longer live for yourself, you recognize no one according to flesh, you see others as brand new, you have a ministry within the kingdom— you have stopped counting the sins of others, and you are a reconciler. Um, Brian, I got to say, if I were to embrace each and every one of those and move step by step down that kind of path of reconciliation, of understanding myself from being reconciled to being a reconciler, um, my life would be different. It definitely would. And at Peacemaker Ministries, we run into people all the time who think that someone else stole their reconciliation and like, I can't be <laughs> reconciled. I can't. And I want to remind them that the reconciliation that they can have, the peace that they can have is based squarely on Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and resurrection. And that's what Paul really is challenging us with. He says, you know what? We're in a temporal world. We're in a tent. And yet you can have an attitude that you are controlled by Christ's love. And, and so I, I wrote this book like a coach to a, a team player, like I'm yelling from the sidelines, you are controlled by Christ's love. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and hopefully the, in turn, we turn and say, you know what? I am controlled by Christ's love, right? I mean, that's the hope is that we make it personal um, as we go through the scriptures, not just theoretical in our heads and, and not apply it in our daily lives. So I like that coaching um, analogy. I you know, as a kid, I played softball, and there are a few things that I can still hear my dad, who was one of my coaches, like, I can still hear him say in my head from time to time, right? Like, keep your eye on the ball. Um, exactly. And that's one of the things you're trying to do here, right? Like, you're going you're gonna to coach me from the sideline long enough that when I'm in the moment, when I'm um, tempted to not live at peace with someone or to backtrack maybe in uh, in my efforts as a reconciler, I'm going to hear you say, you are controlled by Christ's love. You no longer live for yourself. You, rec you do not recognize this person according to the flesh. Like, right, this is an image bearer of the living God. Let's think of them in this way. Let's see them as the brand new creations that Christ um, died for them to be. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. It's really, that's such a helpful way of um, creating new pathways in my own mind in order that I might create reconciling uh, or reconciled relationships with others. 
it's so true. Like we have a small group that I've been running off of this. And one of the ladies, she says, for a number of months, uh, I've been struggling with sleeping, right? And I just started repeating the scriptures. It comes right from the scriptures for Paul says, for we are controlled by Christ's love. I mean, he says it right there. He says, I just began repeating that scripture out loud. Uh, before I went to bed, and I've been sleeping, and and that's I, I'm not saying that's going to happen for everyone, but at least for this lady, she says thank you for just exposing the scriptures to me that it's true what God has to say about me louder than what my tension and circumstances that she's been traveling through um, have to say about me, and that's what God's word will do. It'll bring peace even in our sleep at times, you know, and and I know we all can get restless over conflict and we can all you know get anxious over it, but God's word. It, when it comes to the center of our hearts, brings shalom, brings peace into our lives. So we can walk in that newness of life. We're talking with Brian Noble. We're talking about his new book, Living Reconciled. You can also uh, find him at peacemakerministries.org. Um, one of my favorite parts of the book uh, is actually the devotional, the the 30-day devotional at the, I guess, or 31, um, 31 devotions that come at the end of the book. Um, tell me about why you did that. I mean, I, I have my suspicions about like why there's a devotional <laughs> in here, but talk with us about the importance of, um, of this as a part of this living reconciled process. Well, what what I understand about myself is I have a tendency to read a book and then I instantly forget it, you know, or I, I, I only pick up parts of it. <laughs> so I thought, well, if we could put people back into the into God's Word th- for 31 days and to have a view of reconciliation for that 31 days after finishing the book, I thought it may help us to build some muscle memory and some spiritual memory into the Word of God. And so that was the goal of, that, uh, of the end, um, is to say, let's take some time, let's build a habit of... A, getting into God's Word, and B, setting our mind on the things above and on reconciliation with God and with others. And so that was the goal, is just to build a habit into people's hearts and to their minds so that they can have have a, a, a marriage of peace, a life of peace, church of peace, you know, all, all those kind of things as we go. There's several parts um, of this book that as I was, uh, you know, as I'm considering it and reading it, I'm thinking to myself, it's so countercultural. Like, it's literally countercultural. Um, even the second attitude that you mentioned in the book, you are no, you know, you no longer live for yourself. I'm like, hey, in a culture of expressive individualism, you know, that's totally me centered, like, how could that possibly be true? And of course, it's true in Christ. Of course, it's true um, from a Christian perspective and a biblical worldview, but it's super, excuse me, super countercultural. It really is. And and a lot, like you said, a lot of the book is countercultural because we're living in such a selfish day. And, and and I'm not just saying those people, I'm saying myself, right? We have yeah, a absolutely. tendency. <laughs> we I have a tendency to 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 look at myself and say, well, th- I, I'm important in this situation, or I'm this, I'm that. And and I'm just not that important. When you really come down to like if you were to integrate Romans, you know, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And what I love about that verse is in verse Second uh, Corinthians five fifteen, he says he died, Jesus died, and then it says so that we may no longer live for ourselves. It's powerful because he gives the why he died. Sometimes we think he died so that he can save us, which is true. Or we we died so we can go to heaven, which or he died so we can go to heaven, which is true. But we never think about the here and now that he died so that today I no longer live for myself, but I live for him. I live for Christ, you know, who who rose again from the dead. So who died for me. So when I think about that, that is a different motivating factor in in the word of God mm-hmm. is like 
taking the gospel message from a salvation message to really, you know, if we use Christian terms, a sanctification message, a, a refining message, a, a time of being set apart for God. And, um, and so I, I just love that because daily I have to remind myself, it's not about me. You know, it's mm-hmm. not about, it's not about what I want in this moment. It's how can I serve others and really, um, um, speak truth and love to them. We are drawn uh, to peace and reconciliation. We certainly want peace. We want to be reconciled. How does that happen? How can we live into it? We're going to continue our conversation with Brian Noble about living reconciled. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. Continuing our conversation now with Brian Noble. He's an author. He's also the executive director of Peacemaker Ministries. You can find him at peacemakerministries.org. The book we're discussing is Living Reconciled, Seven Ways to Bring Peace to Your Most Difficult Relationships. Um, Brian, let's jump into some of the super practical, I think, questions um, that face all of us. Um, I want to be reconciled, but there's at least one person in my life um, who does not also desire that. So let's talk about figuring this out when I want to be reconciled in a relationship where the other person doesn't want that. Yeah, let's let's break out two different words. So reconciliation and reinstatement of relationship. And the reason why I Mm. separate those two things is let's say like, I don't want to be reconciled with you, Carmen. And so in your bank account, we'll say, uh, you have uh, a negative thousand dollars towards me, and I have a negative hundred dollars towards you, and I don't want to be reconciled, you know. And and so then you say, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna allow Christ's blood to pay this eleven hundred dollar difference, right? Let's say I'm gonna allow him to pay it, but I keep holding on to the eleven hundred dollar difference. You begin to look through the lens of hope, of reconciliation, of the gospel, of newness of life into your heart, but I hold on to bitterness, resentment, frustration. Guess what? You've you've reconciled with me. That's that if possible, as far as it depends upon you know me, live at peace with mm. all men. You've done that practice because you you said no. I'm not going to carry the bitterness. I'm not going to carry the resentment any longer. Now my, the hope is that we have a reinstated relationship w- where we both embrace the gospel, right? Where I I allow Christ to pay the $1,100 difference between both of us, and you've allowed it. And then we have a reinstated relationship. There are extreme cases in our society that technically they've all been around for a long, long time of domestic violence and those extreme cases um, that that are out there. And sometimes a reinstated relationship is not practical or safe. And so um, but we can still be reconciled in the sense that we say Jesus died for that. I'm no longer that person's judge. I'm not going to carry the bitterness any longer. God, you be the judge. You be the <laughs> you do you do what you need to do with them and and I'm going to live at peace and in safety and in you know with with God and with the other person. Is that Yeah, that's that's how I would describe the book. I mean, that's what we're working through. And so these are the attitudes you create in order to have that perspective. I love um verse 20 in um in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When I think about um, the motivation, the desire, um, the need for reconciliation, I know a lot of people who are certainly relying on Jesus to reconcile them to God. 
and then maybe even acknowledging uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to bring reconciliation to the self. Mm-hmm. But it's that it's that sort of third component of reconciliation that I think even for many Christians is so, so difficult. So I'm relying upon Christ, you know, that I would be reconciled to God. I'm even relying upon uh, Christ to bring internal transformation that I would be reconciled to myself. But that reconciliation that comes with others requires an additional and very intentional step in that direction. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the importance of sort of taking that first step toward a reconciled relationship with someone else? Yeah, and Paul exhorts us in a number of scriptures about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, um, of really holding on to the inner parts of who we are. So, because they can get out of control sometimes, right? Our emotions can get out of control. Our desires for, uh, whether it's vengeance or whatever, can get out of control. And and so we have to take control of that to the place where we say, listen, this is a temporal world that we're living on in, and this on this side of heaven. Not everything's going to turn out, you know, hunky-dory or awesome or whatever. Um, But when we back up and we say, I'm going to take control of my thoughts, we are not a victim of our thoughts. God allows us to have control over that. We say, no, I've laid that at the cross. It is no um, longer—I'm no longer carrying that. I'm going to walk in newness of life and have an attitude of forgiveness, an attitude of reconciliation, an attitude of not counting their trespasses anymore. I mean, that's the biggest thing I have is like— you, you know, you you do all the internal work, and then the person does it again. And so then I'm like, bing, see, I told you so, right? <laughs> bing, I told you so. There's another score against them. But if I was really honest, I'd do the same thing. And that's mm-hmm. why I love—if if you think of uh, David's confession in the Old Testament, um, he says um, that God requires—excuse me, God requires truth in the innermost being. And we got to be truthful with ourselves and not become arrogant— with ourselves. We want the gospel applied to us and we want judgment applied to the other person. And I would just encourage us to look inside and say, you know what, God, if, 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 if you can just continue to help me to apply the gospel to myself and to the other person, it will begin to give us this very thing that you're talking about in verse 20, um, to, to live a life of reconciliation as if God is making an appeal through us. It's so good. It's so good. It's so helpful. The book is Living Reconciled, Seven Ways to Bring Peace to Your Most Difficult Relationships. Brian Noble is the author. Um, You can find him and more resources at peacemakerministries.org. Brian, thank you so much. I feel like like we're talking off the same page. We're reading off the same script. Um, I I really appreciate what you're doing and certainly being with us today um, to, to help us move in this direction of living reconciled. Well, thank you very much for the time, and, and I just pray a blessing over your listeners that they may go in the blessings and the peace of God. Amen. Amen. And you as Amen. well. Thank you. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. Good books? Are you reading the good book? Where in the word are you today? It's uh, the most provocative and compelling question I could possibly ask. Where in the word are you today? Let's uh, be finding ourselves in the word of God uh, before we get out there into the into the world that God so loves. Um, 
we want to be out there in ways that honor Jesus. Okay, so just a few days ago, we um, we talked here um, about uh, a book about C.S. Lewis. Do you remember that? Do you remember that conversation? Um, it was about the medieval mind. Um, I'm typing in so that I can remember all the details here. Medieval mind. The medieval mind of C.S. Lewis. That's what uh, Paul tells me that the title of the book is. Um, so we talked with Jason Baxter. Hopefully you remember that conversation. Um, so we actually have some copies of that book to give away. And so if you were listening to that conversation and you thought to yourself, gosh, I wish they would say they have some books to give away, we actually do. So The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis, How Great Books Shaped a Great Mind. Let me just um, let me just say this. This book um, is a bit of a heavy lift. Um, and so uh, the multisyllabic words that fill it um, might be a little off-putting to some. Um, but I find it, uh, have found it and am finding it to be a book that is very, very rich uh, in terms of growing my vocabulary. So if you have thought to yourself, um, what might Carmen read to grow her vocabulary? The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis, um, How Great Books Shaped a Great Mind, is actually one of those books that you could use to grow your vocabulary. Um, so if you're interested in entering what is now the drawing for the copies of The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis by Jason Baxter, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word book to 877-933-2484. The books we have to give away are is not the book that we just discussed here on air, but the book we discussed the other day with Jason Baxter. The book is The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis, How Great Books Shaped a Great Mind. I was thinking a lot about um, C.S. Lewis, not only in relationship to the... Uh, to the Jason Baxter book, <clears throat> but um, just in general, C.S. Lewis wrote a piece um, in 1948 entitled On Living in an, in an Atomic Age. And the question that he was really uh, seeking to provoke to answer with that is, you know, like, how do we just go on living? How do we go about living under the threat of nuclear annihilation? Like, how are we to live in an atomic age? Um, I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at night, or um, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, C.S. Lewis said, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. And that made me take a deep breath when I reread it. <clears throat> Do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. 1948, you know, facing the new, new threat of nuclear annihilation, but not the new threat of death, not the new threat of war, not the new threat of of plagues, not the new threat of disease, not the new threat of sin or violence. Do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. He said then, believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love are already sentenced to death. You were sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was ever invented. 
it is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. If we're all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends, over a pint, and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. May they break our bodies. A microbe can do that as well. But they need not dominate our minds. So today, this is Carmen, not C.S. Lewis. Today, let's get on with the business of living. Let's live life to the very fullest. Let's not live it in fear. Let's not live it in cowardice. Let's live it with minds that are conformed to the fullness of the image of Christ. Let us have minds that are transformed by the scriptures. Let us be people who are reading old books and books that are hard to read and learning new words and applying the mind of Christ to the issues of our day. Let us be living as if this is the only life to live, knowing that it is not. Let us live today as those who are prepared to die, recognizing that at any moment we might find ourselves dead. The question then will be, will you find yourself living again? I will. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live forever. How do I know that? Because my life belongs to Christ, and he is risen. He is risen indeed. Glory. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.